That is good stuff. That is good stuff. That's better than a sermon. Come on, can I get an amen? Uh, you're going to deal with it anyway, so here we go. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. That, that is a great segue for what we just did. That is a great segue to what I'm going to try to teach from God's Word here in a few minutes. What those men and women did was a self-sacrificing service. And they all have, they all have their own individual stories that they, they did something on behalf of somebody else. And that somebody else is me and you, okay? They stood for us. They represented us. They did what they had to do for us. And that is a great segue to something that the Bible talks about that I want to teach about today. And the word that is going to be kind of encapsulated with what you just saw up here, all the stories and, and different things that these people could tell us, the connection of that to a Bible topic by the name of stewardship. And, and I know if you're a church person, you heard me say that and you go, oh no, here we go. Because you associate stewardship with money. And us church people do that. We hear that word and we immediately think money. And, and there is no doubt there is a money application to it. But stewardship is way, way bigger than money. In fact, if you hear the word stewardship and you think money, what it means is you don't know what stewardship is. Because when the Bible talks about it, it is way way beyond that, and you're going to find that today when we study. So I brought a, a, a definition of what stewardship is, and it's just one that I kind of made up because it helps me kind of think of it in those terms. And so basically, stewardship comes down to this. Let's look at it. We have a definition that says, it is managing the assets and interests of another person in a manner that person wants their assets and interests managed. That's what stewardship is. And what we just saw in a real sense was an expression of that by people who represented the welfare of other people. Now, without doubt, you're going to hear as I get into this study that money has an application to it. But I think if there's anything I want you to catch when you leave this evening is that you will understand that the application is way, way bigger than that. Now, let's start with a scripture that we're working through this month from Proverbs chapter 3. And so you're going to learn about this over the next month. Let's throw it up on the screen and let's read it again. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, and then your barns will be filled overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now, there's a couple ways to study Scripture. I'm going to keep that up there here for a second because sometimes you can take a passage in the Bible and you can take what I call kind of a 40,000-foot view on it. You just kind of get the general concept of that passage. And that's a great way to study, and we do that here often at Eastside. And then there are other times when instead of using a telescope from 40,000 foot, you get down into the weeds with a microscope. You perform almost a surgery on it. 
And that's when you get down into the weeds of it. And what we're going to do here in the month of November is we're going to, we're going to conduct a surgical procedure on this text. We're going to spend all month on Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, 10. Not flying up with a telescope, but getting down with a microscope and slicing surgically. Because there are things in the weeds of this passage of Scripture that will help us an incredible amount. Now, Neil started us last week. He made the first cut in the entire passage, the first part of the surgery. And I don't know about you all, okay? I think Neil Lancaster knocked it out of the park, okay? Uh, awesome. Um, in fact, I had two people ask me, Neil, uh, tonight when I was in the commons area, Neil preaching tonight? Neil preaching? I just walked away, okay? I just walked away. What do you mean? He did a great job, and he did the first, he did the first slice of the surgery, and he only looked at that, that phrase right there, honor the Lord, honor the Lord. So you got this whole passage starts with honor the Lord, and that is the backbone of the whole passage, okay? It is the most important part of the whole passage, and he was dead right. Honor means weight. It means to give weight to something. In other words, I'm going to consider that more than I'm going to consider myself. I'm going to consider that other than I'm going to consider other people. I'm going to put more weight on what God thinks, wants, and says than anything else. And so that was the power of that. And I loved how he brought it to the heart, okay, that you get to the point where your heart places all the weight on God. That God is the one that we give all the weight to and the honor. That's what it means to honor the Lord. Now, on this weekend, we take another slice in the surgery. Forgive me if you've got a surgery planned and I'm calling it slice, okay? But we're going to scalpel it a little bit more and we're going to move now to the next phrase, with your wealth. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Give God weight. Okay? Give him the weight when it comes to your wealth. Now, I think that phrase right there, those three words, I think they can be understood best with some truths that I'm going to throw at you tonight. And these truths, as you're going to watch, if you stay with me, you're going to see that every truth is linked to the next one. So the power of the first truth is its link to the second truth. And then the power of the second truth is its link to the third. And you'll, you'll see as we wait, make our way through this, this surgical study of the text. So here, here's an example. I want you to look at the very first truth that I want you to know that's going to make for a And this is the truth. You have some stuff. You have some stuff, okay? Everybody here has some stuff. And I apologize for the word stuff, okay? I know it's not real, you know, intellectual, doesn't sound too spiritual, but I want to explain why I'm using the word stuff because it will make its way through everything that I talk about in this study. Last, uh, last weekend, my family were uh, together with some other family members, and we all came from all different directions. We had one of those weekends we were all together, and we were sitting around a fire pit one evening. And as you know, the weather was absolutely beautiful, okay? It was warm even at night. It was, warm. It was just absolutely gorgeous. 
By the way, you know the world's going to end in two days. Have you heard that yet? Huh? It's all over this weekend. We're all going to die out of cold weather. So back then, a week ago, it was just beautiful. And we're sitting around this campfire, and somebody brought up the topic, has anybody thought about the lottery? And if you know, it was kind of getting up there, okay? Whatever that lottery thing is called. I don't play it, so I, I, you know, Powerball, whatever it is. And it was well over a billion dollars. And so they brought up this idea. Has anybody here thought about what you would do if you had a billion dollars? You got a billion dollars, what are you going to do? Has anybody thought about that? And it was interesting that we kind of went around and every one of us, including me, we were just honest with us. Yeah, I've... I've kind of thought about what I would do with a billion dollars. And everybody started talking about what they were going to do with their billion dollars. It's, it's incredible. Isn't it amazing what you can do with somebody else's money? Huh? And so people just started talking about all that. By the way, I heard a joke one time about a crusty old mean-spirited husband who won the lottery one day, and he called his wife and said, pack your pegs, baby. Uh, pack them up. I, I won the lottery. And she said, should I pack for warm weather or cold weather? He said, I don't care where you go, just as long as you're gone when I get home. That's terrible, isn't it? Oh. That's horrible. So we're all talking about if we had a billion dollars, what would we do? And, and so uh, everybody kind of had their, you know, here's what I've done. And it was interesting. Everybody thought about it. And I remember telling them one of the things I would do, and my sister's in our church, so she, she's going to be thrilled to hear about this. But I said, well, I would take my wife and I, and we'd take all our siblings. And so there's six of us. I'd take those six people, and then all their kids. And so there's 14 among all of us, and they're all adults. So we got 20 adults, and I'd go to every single one of them and say, I'm going to wipe out every debt you have. You're going to be completely debt-free. I'm going to give you $100,000 on this deal. Don't ever ask me for anything ever again for the rest of your life. And so we thought about that. And everybody kind of had their own little story. And then one guy, kind of the party pooper, the whole thing stood up and said, I don't know why we're talking about this. It ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen. Ain't nobody going to win the lottery. Why are we even spending time talking about that? And you probably thought that when you saw that phrase, your wealth. Because you thought, well, we even talk about this because I'm not wealthy. I don't have a lot of stuff. I mean, I, I'm just not in that category. And so apparently that part of the Bible is not applicable to me. I don't have a lot of stuff. Why am I even going to spend my time trying to figure out what this verse is? Well, that is a horrible understanding of what the author meant by the word wealth. Let me tell you a couple things about that phrase, your wealth. Number one, it does have an economic lean to it. And I don't want to dismiss that. I don't want to take that outside and say, well, well, that doesn't happen. But I want you to understand that the essence of that word is just so much more than money. It is not the word that the Jewish people used to describe somebody who was rich. That's a totally different word. And so when he said, honor the Lord, put all your weight, all your trust in God concerning your wealth, he, he wasn't talking about, okay, just rich people. He wasn't talking about that. The word wealth, I've, I've really struggled about how to describe that, and I don't even really know if I've got a good way to do it, but I, I think if I had to wrap it up into a metaphor, I would say, I want you to think of this kind of a term. And forgive me if it's offensive to you, okay? I'm, I don't mean to be offensive, even who'd offend you. 
Just get over it. Here we go, okay? So I want you to think of this metaphor. I want you to think that this is kind of, this is, this is kind of the, the deck of cards I'm playing with right now. This is kind of what I got in, in, in my life. This is, this is kind of my human experience. This is what I have to make it in this life. This is the substance of everything going on with me. And, and part of that, yeah, this is my bank account. That's, that's kind of what I got. You know, that's the, that's the deck I'm playing with right now. But this is what is, I'm, I'm dealing with my marital status. It's not just money. It's, it's, it's every part of your human existence, even Marriage, I'm, I'm happily married, or maybe I'm unhappily married, or I'm not married, or I want to get married, but kind of this is, this is the deck that I got right now. And, and here are the children I have, or here are the children that I don't have. This is kind of the, you know, these are the children I wish I had. These are the children I wish I didn't have. So this is kind of, this is kind of my deck, you know. This is the cards that I'm having to play with, and, and, and this is my set of skills, you know. This is what I can do good. I'm, I'm pretty good at this, and I'm not very good at that, but that's kind of my deck, man. That's what I'm, I'm playing with, and this is my job, and this is the time that I have, and this is the body I got, and this is the brain I ended up with. And the word wealth refers to everything that you have going on even your own existence, that's your stuff. That's your stuff. And I don't think it's a mistake that when he, when he wrote that word, he wrote it in a way so that you would understood that we're talking about your stuff. He intentionally wrote it you, you English teachers will understand what I'm talking about. He intentionally put it in what was known as the second person singular. That means you. He, he, didn't, he didn't put it in, in this idea where we're talking about, hey, all of us, okay? First person plural, all of us have stuff. He, he didn't say that. He said you. So when I open up Proverbs chapter three, verses nine and 10, remember we're not, we're not in a plane, you know, and we're not way up here at 40,000 foot, just kind of, we're down in the weeds, we're using a scalpel, we're getting down into the nitty gritty, and I see this idea of honoring the Lord with my wealth. And what he's saying to me is, Hastings, you got some stuff, man. You, you all got stuff. You have stuff. And it might be different from somebody else's stuff. Because we all don't have the same stuff. When, when Solomon wrote this proverb, it's interesting that he, he talked about this idea of kind of individualizing it in the sense that the deck of cards that I have in my life right now that is sustaining my life, the things that I'm dealing with, will not be the same that you deal with. We all will have something different. And Jesus even said that. Jesus, in fact, told a couple stories, well-known stories, about the nature of this idea of what it would be like who somebody who would entrust their money to another person. And then that somebody would come back and kind of have an accounting of, okay, what did you do with the money that is mine that I gave to you? And Jesus told two different stories about that. 
They're completely different stories that have a similarity to them. In the very first one, he talked about a guy who took his money and he gave it to 10 people and he gave each one of them what was called a mina. So 10 guys got one mina. And then Jesus told a very similar story, the same kind of thing, where he didn't give 10 guys minas, he gave them talents. And you might remember that story. Uh, one guy, got, he gave five talents. One guy, he gave two talents. One guy, he gave one talent. And what I want you to see in both those stories is what Jesus was trying to say is everybody has different stuff. Uh, let me show you. Let me put up there what a mina and a talent is. A mina, these are both forms of currency in the first century, and a mina was about 100 days of work. So it's about four months of work, and how much money, wages would you be paid in four months? That's what a mina is, and everybody got a mina. And these guys down here got talents. And a talent was something else. A talent was equivalent to about 20 years of work. In other words, in that day, a talent was about a lifetime of work. And so one of the guys in this story got 100 years of wages. And we're talking, we're talking like mega professional athlete type stuff. Now, why did Jesus tell the same thing with two radically different analogies? One about four months' wages, one about a hundred years of wages. Why did he tell it? Because everybody has different stuff. Everybody has different stuff. We just have a different deck of cards that we're playing with. And so in order to dive into that text and to say, man, I want to see where God is getting with that, I've got to start there. I have some stuff. You have some stuff. It's not the same. I mean, this is my bank account. That's your bank account. This is my family. That's your family. This is the job I go to. That's the job you go to. This is what I can do. I'm really good at it. This is what you can do. You can be really good at it. This is the face you walk around with every day. This is the face I got stuck with. We've all got a different deck. We all have stuff. Now, for us to leave right now, we aren't even close to what he's trying to say about it yet. Because you take the truth and you link it to the next truth. And the next truth that is critical, it's the truth that we, it's, it's the truth where we lose reality on what stewardship is about. Because you have some stuff is linked to this. Your stuff is really God's stuff. It's not your stuff. When we started having children in our family, somebody gave me a little article, and I've always kept that. I have it in my office. I just thought it was so brilliant. And now that I have grandkids, I've noticed nothing's changed from kids to grandkids. And, and if you have little kids in your life, you might... See, this sounds familiar. It's just this little thing that I think it was titled something like um, a toddler's view on property law. And it said how kids view their toys. Let me, let me read it for you. And if you got young kids, tell me if this sounds familiar. So, so here it is. If I like it, it's mine. If I can take it away from you, it's mine. If I had it a minute ago, it's mine. If I say it's mine, it's mine. If it looks like mine, it's mine. If I saw it first, it's mine. If you're having fun with it, it's mine. If you laid it down, it's mine. 
If it's broken, it's yours, okay? <laughs> now, now, here's the cool thing about that is, is that that's not just a kid thing, is it? Because there's something in our human condition that causes us to think of our stuff in terms of ownership. That our stuff, and yeah, there's a, there's a lean of economic thought to that, absolutely. But you know now, it's broader, man. It's just the cards you got to play with right now. It is your entire human existence. It is so easy to get caught up into thinking in terms of possession, of ownership. It's mine. So let me be blunt. Your stuff, okay, your stuff. It ain't your stuff, bro. None of your stuff is your stuff. And the Bible makes that as clear as it can possibly make it. If you've never memorized Psalm chapter 24, verse 1, that's one to start with. Let's look at it. The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. This, that, this last phrase is so important. So if you had a little science project here of, of, of the entire cosmos, okay? So we got planets and we got sun and we got, we got moon and stars and you got it all there and we even got the, you know, the third planet from the sun, which is the earth. And what, what this says is that all of that is owned by God. And so most people say, yeah, I kind of get that, I understand that. And then you get that last phrase where the Proverbs author goes into, or the psalmist goes into it and says, but even the stuff going on on the third planet, even the people on the planet, even everything going on with those people, it is all mine. So all of our stuff is not our stuff. It's not ours. It belongs to him. I, I love the way that thought is communicated in chapter 50 in the Psalms, and I, I want to read it to you because it quotes as if God were explaining this. So these are God's words, and I'll put them on the screen so you can see them, but I'll just read them from my Bible. Starting in the ninth, ninth verse of Psalm 50, God says this, I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens. For every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the creatures of the field are mine. Check this next verse out. It is gold. If I were hungry, I would not tell you for the world is mine and all that is in it. I guess if anybody can be snarky, it can be God. And God says this, hey, if I ever get hungry, I'm not gonna be asking you to take me to McDonald's because I own all the cows. I don't need you to feed me because all the stuff is mine. And I wanna suggest that in order for you and I to really capture the concept of what stewardship is, we, we got to wrestle down with that. We got to get that sunk into us that God owns it all, everything. And if he owns it, what's that mean? You don't. I don't. 
And that tends to be the sticking point for people who struggle in the application of stewardship of their lives. We, we kind of get caught up into that. And so what God is saying is that the bank account that is attached to your social security number and the retirement fund that you've been putting into for all these years and, and the paycheck that you worked hard uh, to earn and the house with your name on the deed and the car with your name on the title, listen, it's all his. None of it is yours. All your stuff is really God's stuff. And it doesn't stop there because you and I know the stewardship is not just about economics. If all you consider is economics, what you've done is you've minimized the concept of biblical stewardship. When you sit down and think through it, everything about your deck of cards is his. So that 168 hours of time that you have on your hands at the beginning of every week, guess what? That's not your time. That's God's time. You ever thought about your marriage like that? I don't have a marriage. You don't have a marriage. Your marriage belongs to him. I mean, the list just keeps growing, doesn't it? My health, my relationships, my skill sets, everything with the deck that I'm playing with, none of it, none of it is mine. He and he alone is the owner. So as we, we take this knife and we dive into that, that phrase, again, we're not flying up here real high. We're getting down in there. And we're starting to see this idea that all of us have some stuff. Everybody has some stuff. And all of it is really his stuff. Now, we, we could, we could leave right now. Because we could stop right there and the essence of stewardship is established with those two truths. I'm going to tell you something. I don't think we're smart enough to do that. Because I think there's another truth that the second then links into, and I, I don't know that we're smart enough just to assume it. I think we have to be told that. And, and let me show it to you and you'll see what I mean. Because the third truth comes down and says this, that God wants you to manage his stuff. So everybody's got some stuff and it really belongs to God and God has asked you to take care of his stuff. See, our, our role in stewardship, listen, is not ownership. We're not in ownership. We're in management. And that's a really big deal because managers operate within the will of the owner. Did, did, you, did you hear that? Did anybody hear that? That we're not at owner capacity, we're just at management capacity. And managers do what owners tell us to do. You know where that comes up? If you have teenagers. 
Now, I know there's some exceptions. I know there's some uh, teenagers that are just off the charts incredible people, and you probably think your teenager is one of those. But for the rest of us, normal people, okay, when we had teenagers in our house, we had to give that instruction to them. And so if you've had teenagers, you may have had times where you've had to say something like this. And maybe not. Maybe you all got it going, and it only happened in the Hastings household. But have you ever looked at your teenager and needed to say something like this? Hey, bud, or hey, sis, this ain't your house. Huh? Any, am, I, am I talking to anybody, okay? Have you ever had to say things like that? Um, in, in fact, you're just here on loan, Okay? Uh, you, you're you're going you're gonna to be leaving at some point, and, and you're going to have to find your own couch and figure out your own Fruit Loops, okay? You're, you're just here on loan. And your mom and I kind of liked it around here before you showed up. <laughs> and we're going to like it when you leave. Did you ever have to say this? So as long as you live in my house, you're going to follow what? My rule. Oh, so you know what I'm talking about. I'm going to give you a little parental, parental advice here. It's don't have anything to do with sermon. Let me throw this out. I want you to hear somebody who's been through it, and I had a lot of mistakes, and I had a few victories thrown in there. But let me tell you something about that. If you have those kind of conversations with your children when they are in your home, it will help them understand submission to authority when they are out of your home. And if you don't teach them that in your home, then they will struggle with it for the rest of their life because they didn't get it from you before they left the home. So, so if you got a kid in your life, let's just go ahead and make this up, okay? You got somebody in your house between, let's say, maybe 17, and let's start them at about three, okay? You got kids in there? Here's your homework tonight before you go to bed. Just, just sit down with them, eyeball them, and remind them, Hey, you're just managing things around here. I own the place. Did you know that's in the Bible? Did you know that? This is fascinating to me. The word stewardship in the Bible, whenever you look at the Bible and you find steward or stewardship, it is, it is two words that they put together to make stewardship. I'm going to show it to you here on the screen. So the word stewardship in the Bible, or steward, whenever you see it, it's two words, house and law. That's the two words. They took house and law, and they put it together. It is the word house law, and we translated stewardship. So what God does with that is he says, all your stuff, okay, all your stuff is mine. It's my house. It's my this. It's my that. And stewardship is to operate your stuff under the guidelines of what he wants. Whether it's the money I have at my disposal or the abilities I have with my, with my family, my relationships, my future plans, my time, I'm only in management, and I am responsible to carry out what the owner wants done with all of that. That's stewardship. That's what it means to be a biblical steward. 
that you just manage all your stuff the way God wants you to manage it because why? It's his stuff. That's what it means to be a steward. This last week, I was with a small group of pastors, and we had a few of our guys here on staff there as well, and we were sitting in, a, in kind of a pastoral meeting, and uh, we were up in Cincinnati, and there was a, a, another pastor who got up, and he was going to share with us something that he had personally learned about Jesus. And um, he shared that, and it only took a few minutes, and it rocked me. Because I'd never seen this about Jesus either. And the more that I thought about it, and I dove into studying what I wanted to teach this weekend about stewardship, the more I began to see that what he was talking about was the essence of stewardship. So I want you to watch this. I want you to think of your stuff. I want you to think of your, your deck of cards that you're playing with. That's what you got right now that God has, in, has, has said, that's my stuff, but I want you to manage it. I want you to think about that. And I want to show you a story of something happened in the Bible to Jesus. And it has something to do with his mama. Now, some of you all know, if you're Bible people, you know that when Jesus was on the cross, we know that he said seven different things, and they're all in the Bible, seven statements of Jesus on the cross. Very familiar, uh, popular study about those seven statements. And one of those statements was about his mother. Now, it comes up in the 19th chapter of John, and maybe you're a person that you've read that before, and you thought, oh, man, I've seen that. I knew all about that. I'd never seen it. In all my years as a Christian, as a Bible student, as a teacher of the Word of God, I had never, ever seen what he said. So it comes up in the 19th chapter of John, and I'm going to show it to you up on the screen. I want to show you what happens there. And when I read it, you'll probably think, what's he, what's he talking about, okay? So, so, so I want you to think about this scene. Jesus is on the cross, and here's what the 19th chapter of John tells us. It tells us who's there. And Jesus' mom was there. That makes sense, okay? Ladies, your adult son facing death, you're going to be there, ain't you? So his mom's there. We know that his aunt is there. Jesus' aunt is there, probably to support his sister. That makes sense. Makes total sense. And then there were a couple other ladies, both of whom had the name Mary. So there were, there were four women at the cross with Jesus and then the guy writing about this story, you'll see in a minute, that he was there, John. Best friend of Jesus was there. So we've got Jesus and John and the four ladies. And we have this statement of Jesus comes up in the 19th chapter. And if you let this get into your heart, it's going to rock you all weekend long. It's going to rock you to death. We have this statement come up. Let's look at it. When Jesus saw that his mother was there, okay, so Mary's there, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, and that was John's way of saying, I was there, because John's writing this. And John said all the time in his gospel account, his writing of John, he called himself, I'm the one that he really loves, okay? I'm the guy he loves. And so what John said was, Jesus looked down and saw his mom and he saw me. And he said to his mother, 
Next slide. Dear woman. It's a very affectionate way to talk to an adult lady in that day. Very affectionate. Dear, sweet, precious woman. Here is your son. And to the disciple, to John, here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. Now, here's what I've never seen, and maybe you have because you, you know, you got it going and I, I haven't figured it out yet. So maybe, maybe you know this. But what I have never seen here is why on earth did he say to his friend John that I want you to take care of my mama? We think his dad's probably dead. We think Joseph is done gone. There's no indication of Joseph when Jesus becomes an adult. And so the assumption of most scholars is that Joseph has already died. And so you've got Mary and all of her, her children that she has, and the children take care of the mom as life goes along. And who takes care of the mom who's most responsible? The oldest. Who's the oldest? Jesus. Now Jesus knows he's going to be out of picture. And somebody got to take care of mom now. And who is the person most logical to take care of mom? The next older brother. Probably James. And so, so Jesus hadn't set this up before. Hey, James, man, I'm going to die. You know that's going to be happening. And when that happens, man, you got to get in there. It's your responsibility. You got to take care of mom. And he never said any of that. He looked at John, whom he dearly loved and said, would you take care of my mom? Now, why is that important? Because we see something about the character and the heart of God here. I put it in a, a slide so you can see what I'm talking about. Let's, let's look at this very carefully. That God will often take the things and people that he loves and owns because it's his. And he will place them into the care of other people that he loves and trusts. So all of your stuff, your very existence, your very life, everything about you that belongs to him, he entrusted it to you because he loves you and he trusts you. Now that's a different way of thinking because there are men in this room right now where God would say this to you. This is my daughter whom I love. And I want you to care for her as your wife in the same way that I would care for her, understanding that she ultimately belongs to me. And there are ladies in this room right now that God would say, this is my son whom I love. Would you care for him as your husband in the same way that I would care for him, understanding that he ultimately belongs to me? 
And what would happen if you started viewing all your stuff that way? Your physical body, your relationships, your time, your job, your bank account. What would happen if you viewed everything that that way? That God says, this is mine. I love it dearly. And I trust and love you so much that I will give this to you because I know that you will manage it the way I want it managed. Now watch, watch, because I'm going to be closed here in a minute. That's what it means to honor God. That I give all the weight to God concerning my marriage. I give all the weight to God concerning my job. I give all the weight to God concerning my time. I give all the weight to God to every part of the deck that he has lovingly entrusted to me. That's what it means to honor him with your stuff. And you have an option to think about what it is in your stuff that you are honoring him by managing and not owning. And you have the opportunity to ask yourself, is there any part of it that I'm ignoring? And that's for you to wrestle with. Father, I, I have thought about this prayer I'm, I'm not sure that it has ever sunk into me the way that it should be that I'm just managing the things that you have lovingly entrusted to me. I've thought about this deeply this week. And it seems to me, God, for me, and I, I don't know about anybody in the room who's in communion with me in this prayer right now. I, I don't know where anybody's at on that. But I know for me, when I can stay at management level, it just seems that my stuff is a blessing to me. And I don't know why I succumb to the idea that it would be better as the owner. Help me get that straight. Help me get that straight. So that you and you alone are honored. In the name of Jesus, we pray, and in his name we have studied. Amen.